Hey everybody, my name is Nolan and I am the host of That Equipping Podcast. Welcome to the show. This is episode two where we continue our conversation from last week in Luke chapter five and we get into some more identity-based gospel discussion. It's fantastic. I look forward to it. There's just a couple things that I want to point out to you. Make sure you have your Bibles open to Luke. Keep your notepad out as well. And there's just one thing I want to read from you, read for you from Colossians chapter three that I just want to want you to keep in your mind because I think when we approach life from an identity-based gospel, that identity-based good news, that when we focus on Jesus, it takes care of everything else. But if we focus on our old self and the things that put us to death according to the worldly pattern, um, it's a lot harder to live a full and abundant life. So if we focus on a full abundant life, as Paul talks about in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 17, then it actually takes care of everything else. So it's like fertilizing a lawn uh, or planting good seed amongst weeds. Uh, the, the, The better grass, when it's fed and watered and nourished, will actually choke out the weeds. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, kind of just sets us up for the mindset, the lens through which I encourage you and submit to you to interpret what you hear in this episode from that equipping podcast. Here we go. Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against one another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of the Messiah, to which you are also called in one body, control your hearts. Be thankful. Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, I'm excited for this episode. I think it'll bless you. I hope it blesses you. Sorry for episode one, rocking out that intro to start the episode. So instead, I'm actually going to set it up as we get into the entry, the show's song. Let's go for my boy Customary, a.k.a. Alex Post. Let's hit it. May I suggest that you get paper and pencil ready now? And as you and if there's any other real issue that one might come up with as a means to saying that God isn't reconciled to them or God isn't pursuing them or God isn't talking to them or God has turned his back on them, the thing about it is, is that it is finished. There is no reason now that we can't have full access to God in any unimaginative way possible because our imagination fails in comparison to the pursuit that God has for the reconciled creation that was brought forth of by the death of Jesus Christ. 
We need to bring peace to the darkness. Reap these aspirin seasons of love in the heartless. Sympathy, father, the father, the safe persistent on top of this. Have faith to we find prominence, find freedom for the optimist. When we start working from the position of the spirit, when we start working with God, we no longer boast about the things that we do, but we humbly point people back to the person that works through us to do all these good things. Take the light to the dark. That's what we do. We overcome evil with good. And so creation is waiting for such a time as this. Creation is waiting for sons and daughters of God to rise up and manifest the kingdom on earth. We're going to open up in prayer, and then uh, I'm going to kind of recap last week really quick, and then continue on with our breakdown of Luke chapter 5. Uh, so, Sherry, this Zoom is, uh, last week, we, there's, there's multiple people from our young adult crowd here from Vail Church in Bloomington, Illinois. I'm the adult ministries pastor at Vail Church, and we're unable to meet in person right now. I don't know what it's like in Canada at the moment. You can tell us, but we're on shelter in place here. We cannot be gathering in person. And so, yes, Amy, you are young. So, um, but yeah, we're in shelter in place right now. So we're all at our homes because we can't gather in person. And so, okay, you are also there too. So um, we just kind of want to get together and see how we're all doing. And then still grow. And no, Sherry, you are not way too old for this. There's, you're, you're totally fine. You're totally fine. Um, but we're hoping that we can, one, just hear from God in a new way, um, just learn some things, and I'm sharing what God is, is, is kind of teaching me when it comes to Luke chapter 5. And last week, we kind of just um, really highlighted Stu is 70. Yes, yeah, Stu is 70. If Stu shows up, Stu is 70 years old. Um, so we were wanting to unpack what Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 5, 17 through 26, when the man who was paralyzed gets lowered through the roof, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And then the Pharisees, they grumble, and they're like, Jesus perceives their thoughts with a word of knowledge, prophetic word. And he says, you know, which, which is easier to do? Say your sins are forgiven, or get up, uh, pick up your mat, and walk. And but then he goes and turns to the man and says, pick up your mat and go home. Um, he doesn't tell him to pick up his mat and walk because that's what the Pharisees were expecting him to do. They were assuming that he was paralyzed because of sin in his life or sin from his family's life. And so um, when the Pharisees, they were looking at the outward appearance. The, Jesus was looking at his inward faith that brought about uh, his, his, the manifestation of his healing. So uh, we are going to continue on here with other passages. So Luke chapter 5 is kind of like the, if I were to point anybody to one chapter about like what Jesus's ministry was all about, it would be Luke chapter 5. So uh, so we broke down uh, last week that sin, the word for sin in the Greek uh, is actually has the same stem words as the word for transform in Romans chapter 12. And so when uh, it says to be transformed, that means that when we are in sin, we are without our full form or allotted a portion, and it points to a disoriented 
distorted, bankrupt identity. But when we are transformed, we are then moving from being patterned after the world. I use the Greek word schematize. And then we are morphed into the blueprint design, which was Jesus, which is Jesus. So that's what transformed is. That's kind of like the crux of, of the gospel message. All right. In sin, we are not who we are created to be. Um, if we believe in what Jesus said and did, it, like, that is what transforms or begins and in, initiates the transformation process into becoming more like him. And God works from a finished goal towards us perspective. We often think of a left to right movement, start to finish. Um, God thinks from finish to where you are currently. And we're going to expand upon that idea today about where are you? So we started out uh, with this triangle metaphor, this triangle analogy, that in the Trinity, it's God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, right? An equilateral triangle. This isn't an equilateral triangle, I've come to discover. But they, any, any explanation that we have for the Trinity is really just hard to nail down and anything that we can understand because there really is no perfect analogy for the Trinity. But in the best that we can understand, there are three equal parts that make up one whole. So that's, that's God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And that everything that has to do with the Trinity begins with, um, it doesn't begin with anything. Actually, I mentioned this last week, and some of you uh, really like that. But um, the triangle is not so much a cycle. We don't move from one thing to the other. But actually, I think of it as GPS triangulation or GPS coordinates. So everything is going to lead us into an encounter with God, but it might start with, you know, hearing something on a Wednesday night Zoom call that'll cause you to think differently. And that revelation might come from thinking differently, which ultimately leads to you encountering God in a brand new way. Or you might receive a revelation, all right? Something is uncovered for you. There's a new truth that you automatically take hold of and accept, which then helps you to think differently about the future, and then ultimately you encounter God in a brand new way. And then think differently in this sense is from Luke chapter 5, verse 32, which means to repent uh, from the Greek metanoia, to turn around. So if you think of this as GPS coordinates, like we're always wanting to encounter God, but it's hard to do without revelation or thinking differently. But if we're not encountering God, if we're living on our own, we're, we're in a different we're being guided by some other positional system, then we see a triangle like this, where uh, we're triangulating from sin, so without our full form, which then leads us into self-justification and then to schematize, which is to be patterned after the world and not patterned after Jesus Christ, which is going to lead us into what I'm going to show you today and we're going to unpack today is if I'm living in the right out of the right GPS, right? I'm, I'm living out of the Trinity, which helps me to know that God wants me to encounter him in my everyday life. He wants to make um, the things of heaven and the supernatural natural, not weird and completely out there, and that he wants to reveal what, like who I am, and he wants me to know what kind of authority that I have in Jesus, that if you look at this triangle, that you're always going to be placed in the middle of the triangle. And as you move throughout life, as you encounter God, as you get revelation from the Holy Spirit, and you think differently, because that's what Jesus came to do, was to help us to think differently about God, that you're going to grow in your identity, you're going to grow in your calling, and you're going to grow 
in your authority. But then it reinforces that God wants you to be whole. He wants you to have a full and abundant life. And then um, out of that, like calling can happen. So again, GPS is a triangulation system that I believe if we can use the Trinity as our basis for kind of interpreting a lot of our reality, this is what I believe that it looks like. God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, encounter revelation, thinking differently. When we're, when we're operating at a different um, geographical positioning system, sin, self-justification, and schematize, then we're going to miss out on the encounters, the revelation, and the ability to change our thinking. Because I don't know about you, but like I haven't always thought this way. And I know that my thinking used to be way more insecure, used to be way more narrow, used to be way more focused on the wrong things, that once I really discovered that God loves me and there's nothing I can do to change that love, there's nothing I can do to increase the love, there's nothing I can do to decrease the love because God loves me because he loves me, that God is always going to war against anything that prevents me from experiencing and, anticip- like, and engaging in the love of God. And so, so many of us, especially in the Western world, we want to move from this, okay, I made a decision about Jesus, now what's God's will for my life? And we, we skip over, if we're using linear language, made a decision for Jesus, okay, now God is going to call me to the ministry, or God is going to call me to the mission field, or God is calling me, like, for many of us, like, God is not so much... And authority is almost like the last thing to come. Authority and calling are the last thing to come for a lot of people. Because when you say yes to Jesus, that is when you are awakened to your true identity as a child of God. But then you skip over what God desires for you as a child, and you move into this place of what's God's will for my life? What's my purpose? What am I on earth? Like, those are the wrong questions because we move past the fact that, like, what does it really mean to be a child of God? And for many of us, we came out of this system of, you know, punishment, cause and effect, condemnation system, and we realize, hey, we're not Jesus, and I'm not God, and so I need a Savior. But then after that, it's like, I need to go tell all these other people that they need a Savior, but I've never really learned what it means to grow up in the house of God as a child when I've been stuck in this orphan mentality separated from God in my own thinking. What I am submitting to you is that in our, in, in, in our triangle here, example, in our, G, in our GPS system, that is, and if you have any conversation with me for any given amount of time, then you know that once we are saved from the darkness of our thinking, from the disoriented, distorted understanding of our identity, then we are, in a sense, awakened to the reality of what it means to be a child of God and as being a child of God, comes with certain benefits. And these are desires that God has for his children. There are desires that I have for my children. For those of us that are parents on the call, we know that like, we desire like, so many good things for our kids, but then we know that like, the easiest example I use is my kids desire to drive our car. They're three and five years old, respectively. There is no way that I'm going to let them drive my car now. Okay? So even though I desire for them to drive a car, like, will they get to drive a car someday? Yes. 
But is it their will? Is it my will for them to drive? Yes, because I don't want to drive them around my entire life, right? So even in a sense, like we talk about God's, my identity, God's desire, and God's will, um, that we skip over the desire part and immediately run for God's will. And if my sons, this is like the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15, that if my sons really wanted to, they could take the inheritance, so to speak, of the car, find my keys, put it in the ignition, start the car and start driving, and it most likely will end badly. Right? And so too many of us get saved, skip desire, go straight for God's will, and get burned out and the religious obligations that we have because we have to perform without knowing what God's desire is, and then we no longer are operating in the GPS of encounter revelation and thinking differently, but actually we're operating in self-justification, which leads us outside the pattern of who we are in Jesus Christ, and then we wonder why we're not living the life that was promised when I said yes to Jesus. And I think all of that is evidence here in Luke. And so, actually, if you have your Bibles with you, open up to Luke chapter 5. And there's a few things that I really want to highlight quickly. Because I was asking God, hey, what's, what are you wanting to say specifically for tonight? And it, it comes out of... Luke chapter 5, and the, the question that I want you all to kind of wrestle with. So again, everything is an invitation into an encounter with God. So if you believe anything that I'm saying, believe that this question is what I believe God is asking of you to ask him so that way he can lead you into an encounter with him through revelation and thinking differently. And so the question that came to mind was, what questions are you asking of Jesus right now? Why that question, that I can't explain, but it is inspired from Luke chapter 5. So again, what questions are you asking of Jesus right now? Because I think the questions that you're asking of Jesus right now, because you could talk to God, you could talk to Holy Spirit, you could talk to Jesus, but it's what questions are you asking of Jesus right now would then lead me and my interpretation that there's something that you need to think differently. We all need to think differently on right? Because of the GPS system, we're regularly thinking differently about things. We're receiving revelation from the Holy Spirit, and then we're encountering God in ways that we've never encountered him before. And then out of the overflow of our heart, then we can spill out onto other people so that they can encounter God through us, which then helps them to think differently and then receive the Holy Spirit's revelation that is available to all of us. And as in Luke chapter 5, verse 12. So it's the preceding story Actually, I'm going to go back all the way to verse chapter, uh, chapter, uh, verse 8, chapter 5, verse 8. It says, When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, O oh Lord, please leave me. I'm a sinful man. And too many of us, for too long, I know because I've been there, I was, I am a sinner saved by grace. That's, you know what? In the old mentality, when you encounter your life compared to Jesus, there is a simple realization that you're not Jesus. My children recognize this all the time. When they see me do something, and they, they try to do it and then fail and then throw a fit about it, they're not me. And so, does that make them sinful? If, if my 
identity and my execution of whatever action it is that I just did is the epitome, is the form, is what my son should become, then yes, technically he's in sin because he's not in the full form. However, that's not my expectation of him, so then it changes things. So this is what God's expectation is then. He says that, I, Peter says, I am a sinful man. But when we know, for those of us who say yes to Jesus, I am no longer a sinful man, I am a son. I am a saint, as the Apostle Paul says. And then we go down into verse 12, and it says, In one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. It just gives me chills. Like, I don't know about you, but have you been in that place where you're like, God, if it's your will, and to know that, like, we get so caught up on God's will for our life that we skip over God's desire. And Jesus says this, like, Jesus reached out and touched him, and he says, I am willing, be healed. And what questions do you, like, are you asking of Jesus right now? Some of you are asking the wrong questions. And he's wanting you to think differently about God's expectations of you, one, God wants you to know that you are his son or daughter and that you are his beloved and there is nothing that you can do, no matter anything that's going on in this world right now, there is nothing that you can do to separate yourself from his love. Now, there's, that's an identity piece and this is what Pastor, and I, Pastor Ted and I love talking about identity. But what we, is a God-given right in our identity is not a God-given right in our calling and our authority. I can forfeit my calling. I can forfeit my authority. And for many people who don't know Jesus, in a sense, they're forfeiting their identity. But if any of you have worked with anybody who suffered any sort of memory loss, if somebody cannot remember who they are, have they forfeited their identity? And that's what we're born into. We're born into a world that is largely pandered after the things not of God. We grow up in it. And if in our best efforts, say yes to Jesus at a young age, I said yes to Jesus at eight because I didn't want to go to hell. I didn't say yes to Jesus because I was his son. And then I, from the age of eight all the way to 25, I lived in a work, what we call a works-based system that said that God is happy with me when I do the right things. He is disappointed in me when I don't. Had a conversation today with a guy who's struggling with a, a long-time addiction. And, you know, I, I asked him, and here's, I probably get 30 different answers from you guys. If God were sitting in the room with, right now with you concerning your thing, whatever your thing is, what would God say to you? And this guy said, you know, God would say, God would say to me that he still loves me and that he's disappointed in me. And I can tell you as a father who has told his son that I was disappointed and he understood what I was saying, broke his heart. And I promise you, God is not telling you that he's disappointed with you now and he was disappointed with you ever. If Jesus' death and resurrection was sufficient enough for forgiveness of sins for all of mankind, 
God is not thinking about the one time that you acted out of ignorance. Forgive them for they know not what they do. So let yourself off the hook. First John, if your heart condemns you, know that God does not condemn you. Grace, does this mean that I should continue to sin so that grace abounds? No, grace rises to meet the challenge of a distorted identity so that way you are no longer GPSing, triangulating your position inside a faulty system, but instead is equipping you, grace, the empowering presence of God to live out of the identity that he has placed in you before you could say yes to him. And then out of that, you will learn about your calling, you will learn about your authority, but know that his love for you is what's gonna drive all of that. And if we're not leading a life that is encountering God through love, encountering others through love, which love in this sense is agape love, which means to lay down my life for the sake of other people, which means laying down my opinions at times for other people, is laying down my politics for other people, is laying down my judgmental thoughts because I am not called to draw lines, but I'm called to love. And what does it mean to love in a way that loves people back into the mindset that they are sons and daughters of God. So, but that comes down to faith. And that's where we come into Jesus heals a paralyzed man. And he says, verse 20, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. The belief Just by believing, I am a son of God, it means you are putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ because that's what he says, which then will set you on the path to discovering God's desire for your life. And out of the overflow of God's desire for you, will you then begin to really be able to interpret God's will for your life. God is willing to heal you. Do you believe that he wants to? And so, but here's the thing about faith. And um, I, I, out of college in 2008, I graduated from Lincoln Christian University. Um, I struggled. I had a bachelor's degree in spiritual formation. Uh, I went on to get a master's degree in Christian education. The master's degree was because of a great recession. Uh, I couldn't get a job in 2008. Nobody was hiring a single young guy in a church of more than 200 people, like Ian, I've told Ian this before, like to be in the position that Ian's in, like he is blessed because I was his age with a degree and no job because there was no money because the 2008 recession hit. And, but it was a good thing because here's the thing, if you've ever felt frustration in your walk with God, there's a good chance that he is protecting you from failing in such a way that will cripple you from ever walking in your calling or ever walking in your authority. Because if I skip over the desire and go straight for God's will before I'm ready, I will crash the car and I will never get to walk in the calling and authority that ever God had in store for me. And so then I have to believe that God has his best like my best interests at heart. And so faith then, faith needs to be understood this way. Um, so faith is, is belief. And there's two different words that we get for faith in the Greek. Uh, as one is called pistis and the other is pistuo. Uh, pistis has various understandings based on the context in which it is used. Some of those meanings are what can be believed uh, or the faith of, the faithfulness of, and then trustworthiness. So, so that's pistis. 
Um, and the thing about that is some interesting things about that word. It is used mostly by the Apostle Paul reflecting about Jesus and someone's response to Jesus. So Romans chapter 3, um, you know, we are all saved by faith through the correct translation would be the faithfulness of Jesus. But your translation will often say uh, we're saved by faith for those who believe in Jesus. Believe is pistis. We're saved by faith, pistuo, by the pistis of Jesus. And I believe I'm correct on the pistuo to pistis part because pistuo means what can be believed to be entrusted with or have confidence in. So that is the other word. Both of those words will be translated in the English as faith or belief. And sometimes they're interchanged. It makes it very confusing. But when Paul's saying that like when you're saved by faith, you're saved by the faithfulness of Jesus. And when you believe in the faithfulness of Jesus, then you are saved. And it's not that you're saved from hell. You're saved from a GPS system that will lead you in the form of hell, which is a formlessness lacking the full identity that God had in store for you from the beginning of creation that we traded away by participating in the tree of knowledge of good and evil instead of participating in the tree of life. Why beyond me, why we ever want to try that tree, but we've tried that tree and we love that tree and we all live in that tree. And that tree is something that I can defend. It's something that I can argue. It's something that I can debate. It's something that can make me feel good when I'm right and can make me feel like garbage when I'm self-condemning. Like that's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I hate that tree. And I often operate out of that tree and I hate it. But when I'm operating out of the tree of life, I'm operating out of sonship. I'm operating out of my identity. I'm operating out of my calling. And then I'm stepping into areas of my authority that I'm actually having success in because I've walked out and been positioned because I've learned what God's desire is for my life. So, Pistuo is actually used most often in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Paul uses pistis for a reason because he's referring to what Jesus accomplished, where Jesus, when he's talking to us, is saying, hey, you can trust me. You can have confidence in me. You can, like, what can be believed about me is that you are God's son. You are God's daughter. God is not angry. He loves you. And there's nothing you can do. Excuse me. There's nothing that you could do that will change God's love for you in this moment. So all of you struggling right now at home, like God is there with you. Imagine God sitting on the couch with you. What would he tell you? Man, I wish you wouldn't have looked at that image on the computer the other night. Man, I wish you quit worrying about this. Girl, I wish you'd stop doing that. Like God's not gonna do that. That's what a nagging mom does because she doesn't know what to do when she can't control her kid. That's what I do when I don't know how to control my kid. But instead, if you're hanging around our house for any given amount of time when we are disciplining our children, we will tell them, would you stop doing that? That is not who you are. And that is language that we're regularly going to use with them and we have been using with them. They don't understand that. But we also, every single night before our children go to bed, unless they fall asleep beforehand. And even sometimes we'll still say it even though they're asleep. And, and it goes like this, because I didn't grow up with an identity-based gospel, okay? I grew up in a fear-based understanding of existence that wanted to keep me from going to hell, and I didn't discover my sonship until nine, 10 years ago. 
And I could tell you just in my journey of nine, 10 years, the ability to even articulate half of this stuff has been journeyed out. Some of you, you come to know Jesus and you want to go save the world and you haven't walked with Jesus for three and a half years and you haven't walked with Jesus enough for Jesus to even say, even after three and a half years, you still don't get it because that's what he told the disciples. But that like, you flip it around too. That says, man, I've only been walking with Jesus for three and a half months and I still don't get it yet. Well, okay, get over yourself. Like, you're totally fine. God still loves you. But I tell our children this all the time. It says, I love you. Your mom loves you. God loves you. Jesus loves you. Holy Spirit loves you. Holy Spirit is in you and around you. You are a child of God, born of heaven, a son of the light, created to do amazing things. And that's what I tell my children every single night before they go to sleep. And I can only imagine, I asked that what if question, what if, (laughs) what if I was told that 300 plus times a year as an infant, I've been telling this to Zeke now for almost five years, he can recite it. And there's been times when we'll like jokingly call him something and be like, no, that's not who I am. I'm a child of God. And we're like, you're right, buddy. Sorry, we were, we were, just, we were just joking when we called you a goober. Like, like he only goes by Zeke and a child of God. Well, there you have it. Man, there was some really good question and answer time after that as well. If you were interested in the full Zoom call, because there's, I, I really just put the meat and potatoes in this podcast. But if you're interested in more, go ahead and email me at nolanryanrecker at gmail.com. And I'll get you, or you can find me on Facebook at Nolan Ryan Wrecker. Like my page, request to be added to the Wednesday night equipping group. And you can find all of the resources there. Man, that's it. That's all I have for you. You've been here with me long enough. Bless you guys. I appreciate you. Make sure you check back next week for episode three, as we're going to talk about when Jesus goes up onto the mountain, goes onto the desert to pray, what it really means uh, when he is going to the place that no one inhabits uh, to encounter the Lord. So, Love you guys. Thanks for listening.